Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. I want to ask you, what comes to your mind when you think about heaven? What images kind of populate your mind when you think about the idea of heaven? You got it? Okay, straw poll, how many of y'all have clouds somewhere in your mind right now? How many of y'all are lying right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's be honest. So for me, I do have kind of clouds that kind of populate my mind first and foremost when I think about heaven, because what happens throughout the ages, what's happened throughout the last several thousand years is this, that when people in a culture kind of read the scriptures, they kind of adapt what the Bible says and they add cultural ideas, they add mythology, they add bad theology, they add, you know, cultural ideas like all dogs go to heaven and they just kind of combine it all into this one image that begins to populate your mind and so if you did have clouds come into your mind you would be alike with google Um, because i googled the phrase heaven that's all i googled and i saw clouds and i saw clouds and i saw more clouds And uh, this was really my favorite one. And we're just going to linger here for a moment because as someone who has studied the scriptures for a good chunk of his life, this hurts me Um, for a lot of reasons. But let's just start with the obvious one. You have little baby angels making humans angels. That is not correct at all. We don't become angels. Angels are angels. Humans are humans. Uh, St. Peter is guarding the door uh, to let people in. There's like two dozen dogs in this scene. It's hard to tell, but there's a dog right here with wings. There's a dog right here with wings. There's a herd of dogs over here with wings. And then there's one cat. So this might be the most accurate thing about this picture is that there's one cat outside of the gates of heaven, (laughs) not in heaven. There's a family reunion. There's a couple people flying a kite with a little cross on it. And then there's Jesus here all alone. Um, So here's the reality. I Googled heaven and this was one of the most common images that came up because whether or not you think about this when you think about heaven, your friends who know you're a believer or your family members that know you're a believer, this is what they think you think heaven is like. Some ethereal sky palace that you go to when you die. And so this to me doesn't help me today. Because this to me is like a resort or a retirement community that you're gonna go to one day and it's gonna be great, yay. Maybe there's shuffleboard, maybe there's pickleball, who knows, but it doesn't really impact you today. Because that's not the image the Bible gives us. But this is what populates many of our minds in our world today. And so the reality of it is heaven is meant to give us a picture of yes, where we're gonna ultimately be, but it's meant to invade our thinking even now to impact how we live today. And so the word heaven is used 734 times in your Bible, 734 times in your Bible. God wants you to know that there is coming a day 
and coming a place where he and his people will dwell together. The heart of God throughout scripture is that he and his people would dwell together in which he would be their God and they would be his people, those that are made in the image of God and the likeness of God. And when we have some sky palace in our brain or something that's not biblical, it's not only weird, it's destructive because it doesn't help us today, but a place in which there is no death, there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there's no diagnosis, there's no end. A place in which we get to be with God, full of joy, full of peace, full of satisfaction, and fully alive. That place, as we dwell upon where we're going, it impacts us today. And that's the point of understanding the concept of heaven here. Because heaven here, as you read your Bible, if you were with us in the reading plan this week, we don't just die and go to heaven and that's the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. But rather the end of the Bible is that heaven invades earth and makes all things new as Jesus reigns over everything. The risen Jesus who is fully alive offers life to anyone that would believe and trust in him as we usher into a new heavens, a new earth. Heaven is earth, but redeemed, but good. And so when Jesus returns, he is redeeming all things, including you including your physical body. And as we begin to dwell on that reality, that shapes and impacts how we live today. And so we're in a series right now called Fully Alive, in which we've been dwelling on and thinking about how the resurrection of Jesus impacts us today, how we can find life in the one who conquered death. And so the first week we talked about the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus really did die on that cross and he really did raise bodily from the dead and that he validated that through his appearances. And then the next week we talked about the reason for the resurrection, that it's the foundational element of our faith, not just something we celebrate once a year, but the foundational element of our faith. And because it's that important, it has an impact on our daily lives. And this week, we're gonna see the results of the resurrection. Simply put, because Jesus is risen, because Jesus is fully alive, because Jesus has risen from the grave, one day you will too. We don't just live, die, and go to heaven, but rather the end of the story is a resurrected body and a resurrected life. And we're gonna see the results of Jesus's resurrection today. And in order to do that, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 35 through 49. And this is the passage that hones in, not about where we're going, but rather we're gonna see who we will be when we get there. What is it gonna be like? And then ultimately who we're gonna be with. And so that's our movements this morning. Who will we be in eternity? What is it gonna be like? And then who will we be with? And as we begin to think about this reality of heaven, then it begins to shape and inform our lives today. And so the hope of this morning is that we would leave here on fire for the life that is to come and that life that is to come would impact us today. And so first up, who will we be there? Well, Paul's gonna say it this way. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? 
What kind of body do they come? And so if Jesus rose from the grave and because he's gonna rise from the grave, we're gonna rise from the grave, then they're gonna ask, people are starting asking, okay, what kind of body is that gonna be? These people have been kind of indoctrinated by the culture of the day that says, hey, there is no resurrection, there is no life after death. And so they're going, okay, I'll buy it. If we are gonna raise to life, what type of body am I getting? Like, like, are we talking six pack abs? Are we talking, I get to fly? Will I have hair? I have to know. Will I have hair again? Please, Lord. And Paul responds by saying, you idiot. Which is a, a paraphrase, but he says, you foolish person, you're asking the wrong question. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and, it, and to each kind of a seed, its own body. And so right here, Paul uses a metaphor. You see right now in my backyard, I have literally 1 billion of these. Um, these are acorns. I know I have 1 billion of them because I have to clean them up and pick them up every single year. Uh, my son is two, he's starting to help me a little bit. And um, by help, I mean, he shoves them all in his mouth. Uh, the other day uh, I was with him and uh, he just was so cute going around picking them all up and holding them. And then I looked away for half a second and I looked back and they're all gone. And I'm like, hey buddy, where are the acorns? And he just looks at me like, I don't know, where did they go? And um, then I notice his mouth is bulging. I go, buddy here, right here. And he spits out, no joke, a dozen acorns. And I'm like, okay, that's impressive. Um, do you think we can get two dozen in there? No, I know. Um, but here's reality. Like this acorn right here, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, hey, this right here, in order for it to become an oak tree, what does it have to do? He said, it has to be buried. And so is this acorn an oak tree? Because right now there's two massive ones in my backyard and these things look very different. And yet an oak tree is an acorn fully alive, fully what it was meant to be. And so what Paul is doing in this moment is he's trying to help us understand this reality of the resurrection, the results of the resurrection are alive, that in the same way that a seed becomes a tree, when it's buried, dies, and then raises back to life, this doesn't raise one giant acorn. This raises something that is similar to the acorn, but altogether different. In the same way that a seed becomes a tree, your present body, your present experience will compare to the resurrected body, that you will be you, yet altogether transformed, altogether different. The term that we use for that biblically is the term glorified. You will be glorified. You will have a glorified, resurrected body. And that's why the passage used glory over and over with what's next. He says in verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans and another kind for animals and another kind for birds and another time for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there's earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earth is another kind. 
There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. And for star differs from one star to another in glory. And so there's 10 times in this passage is the word body is used. Paul is trying to be emphatic here. You will raise not some disembodied soul in some sky palace somewhere, but rather you were raised with a resurrected body, a physical flesh and bone body. And yet that body will be glorious. It'll be glorious. That's what's coming for us. And so that right there is helpful, but wildly vague. And so what Paul's gonna do next is he's just showed us who we will be. You will be you but altogether glorious. And he's gonna help us understand that implication on what it'll be like to live in eternity. And that's where he goes next. What is it gonna be like? And he says in verse 42, he says this, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so I count four different realities that await for us in our resurrected body here. And what we're gonna do in really a bulk of our time that's left is we're gonna look at each one of these realities of what awaits for us. And we're gonna let the scriptures inform our minds and inform our hearts that if that's where we're going, how does it impact today? And so the first reality is that we are going to experience a life without death, a life without death. That what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. Like, think about that. Think about existing without the fear or the threat or the coming reality of your own death or the death of those you care about. I can Google the news, just the word news, and the top things every single time is the most horrific realities and they all are about the death of human beings. Imagine a world where that doesn't exist, where death is a memory of an event that happened and is a passing into what you are now becoming. It's a life without death. And when we grab that that's where we're going, it impacts us today. Because when we know that there's a moment in which we're living in a realm of existence and there is a life without death, then all of a sudden that changes how we grieve today. First Thessalonians says it this way, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers, sisters, about those who are asleep, those who have died that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. I don't want you to look like the world. When a loved one dies and someone that you care about who has trusted Christ, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of the world because they don't have hope in the resurrection of Christ. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. These past few years, I've buried my six-month-old niece. Six-month. My wife and I have gone through a miscarriage. I presided over the funeral of a teenage girl who committed suicide. I've buried my grandfather. My other niece at two years old was diagnosed with cancer. 
And by God's grace, she, it looks like she's gonna live. But death reigns without Christ. And in every one of those situations, every one of those situations, I've walked in and I've walked out and I've said to my friends and those around me, I don't understand how people do life without Jesus. Because what I just shared was my story, but I know I could hand the mic out to everyone in here and go, hey, what's these last few years been for you? And you could elaborate on hurts and pains and deaths and unexpected realities that have come in your life. And God is telling us, I don't want you to grieve. I want you to grieve, but not as those without hope, because there's a hope in the resurrection of Christ that is to come. And so when I walked into those situations, what I saw was the weirdest thing in the world if Jesus hasn't risen from the grave. That in the midst of the hardest moments of life, what I saw was fathers and mothers and siblings and friends gathering together and crying and laughing and singing and sharing stories with this longing that one day we'll see them again because they're in Christ and they've trusted in that Christ. And so he says, I don't want you to grieve as those without hope. And so for every one of those funerals that I was over, I just said the same thing that because Jesus's tomb is empty, one day ours will be as well. Because we're moving into a life without death, but we're also moving into a life without sin, a life without sin. It says what is sown is dishonor, and it's raised in glory. Like all of us walk around with hurts and habits that are hanging us up. All of us walk around with like this baggage of our life and our story. And it's so prevalent that we often kind of forget like how much weight it actually puts down upon us that we're living life with a spiritual limp. And so let me just ask you a couple questions just to remind us how much we actually deal with sin on a daily basis. How often do you think about what other people think of you? How often do you compare yourself, your parenting, your followers, your posts, your job, your home to other people? How often do you stress out about something that really isn't all that big of a deal? How often do you have lustful thoughts? How often do those lustful thoughts lead to lustful actions? How often are you short with people? How often are you driven by anger? How often are you fearful by what you see in the news or the world your kids are growing up into? Do I need to continue? We live with a limp. And the reality is like for me, it's fear, anxiety, control, overprotection. I just kind of have this constant battle. And so what is, this, what is, what is it for you? You got it? Imagine a world in which that doesn't exist. In which that lust, that fear, that anxiety, that pride, that insecurity, like you can't even try to be prideful. 
You can't even try to be insecure. You can't even try to be fearful. I was talking with my brother one time and we were talking about heaven and he, like me, struggles with anxiety. And so I just said, hey, imagine a world in which you just didn't struggle with anxiety, in which you just, you couldn't, even if you tried. And that alone was this like light bulb that went on for him that like, oh my gosh, like my best day is not some vacation that I look forward to. My best days are where I'm walking in the freedom that Christ purchased for me. And I get this little taste of what it means to walk in the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, the fullness of satisfaction. And so if that's where we're going, then that impacts how we deal with sin today. Because if you were made to live in a world without sin, then doesn't it mean that to be fully alive is to go to war against the sin that so easily entangles you? It says it right here. It says, beloved, loved ones, you're loved by God. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we're going to see him as he is. And then everyone who thus hopes in him, what happens? We purify ourselves because he is pure. If where we're going is a life without sin, then to be fully alive now and to begin to taste and see this resurrected life that's to come, then we go to war against sin today. How? By dwelling on the perfect one. And as we do that, it purifies us. The resurrected life is a life without sin. It's also a life without weakness. It says, what is sown in weakness is raised in power. My granddad, before he passed, I used to always ask him, hey, how's it going? And he just goes, well, if it ain't hurting, it ain't working. I was like, okay, too much information. Information, Grandpa. But it's true. And the older that you get, the more you recognize, like, if it ain't hurting, it probably ain't working. All right? And so here's the reality. Like, I'm, well, I won't say how old I am because everyone who's older than me are going to be like, oh, you wait until you're my age. You're really going to feel the pain. And everyone who's younger are going to be like, oh, I'll never be that way. But here's the reality I'm older than some, younger than others, okay? And like, I, like, I'm starting to not recover the way I used to recover. Like, like D-Now weekends, I used to be able to go all night, hang out with the kids, all that stuff. Now it takes me like a week to recover. And like, sometimes like I will go to bed and I'll wake up hurting. And I'm like, I literally did nothing for the last eight hours. How am I sore? And I know right now, everyone who's younger are going, well, that'll never be me. I'm just going to always hit the gym. False. Um, Everyone who's older, like, you just, you wait. Like, like, but that's the point. Our bodies are decaying. And we get these constant reminders. And for some of you, like my friend Andrea, who just shared, you get a more real reminder constantly. Maybe it's chronic hurts, chronic pains. We are living in a broken world. And I love what she said here. She said, all that has done is made me realize I have Jesus and that's enough. And so a future life without weakness changes how we endure hardships today. That's what 2 Corinthians says. It says, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our bodies are decaying, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I want you to notice it does not say live, suffer, die, go be with Jesus, but rather there is something about your suffering that in God's economy is actually preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Your suffering right now will make heaven sweeter. And I don't know how that works, but I trust a God who can take our most horrific moments and redeem them. And in the meantime, we look to the things that are, we don't look to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Many of you know the name Johnny Erickson Zentada. She was a, she is a woman who, Whenever she was a teenager, she, she broke her neck by jumping into a, a, a lake and she hit her neck and, and she became a quadriplegic. And yet throughout her journey, it's that that has actually brought her more joy, more life, more love for God and others than anything else. And one of my favorite quotes from her, it talks about heaven and what it's gonna be like. And she said, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Because I'll say to Jesus, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world, we would have trouble. Because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I never would have had happen had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. In this life, you will have hardships. That's a promise from God, but we take heart because there's one who has overcome the grave and we are moving into a life without weakness as we are raised in power. And that right there changes how we endure hardships today. And lastly, we are moving into a life without end. It's sown a natural body, it has raised a spiritual body. That word natural body right there is referring to the present body that you have. A spiritual body is the body that is to come made ready for eternity, that you will live forever in Christ. You were made, you were destined, you are destined to live on a real earth, with a real body, with real experiences, with real adventures, only without death, sin, weakness, or end. That is a lot more attractive than some sky palace. And that is what begins to inform our lives today. And if we are living a life without end, in which that is the true existence that we have been made for, then that changes how we steward our lives today. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, it says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, these things that are done in service to Jesus Christ or wood, hay and straw, things that are done for your own selfish agenda and gain, each one's work will become manifested for the day. There's coming a moment where we will stand before an almighty God who loves us and is for us and wants us to be fully alive. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work has been done. And then it says, if the work that anyone has built, built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only those through fire. So how you steward your life now really matters. We spend so much of our energy accumulating wealth and comfort. And I've never seen a hearse pull a U-Haul. You don't get to take it with you. The only thing you get to take with you into eternity is the faithful good works that you have done on behalf of Christ as he rewards that for all of eternity. And so this begins to shape how we spend our time, how we spend our talents, how we spend our treasures. The resurrected life is a life without end and that changes us today. And so the life that is to come is a life without death. It's a life without sin. It's a life without weakness and it's a life without end. That's where we're heading. That's what it's gonna be like. And so the final question we need to wrestle with is then who will you be with? Simply put, you will be with God. The heart of God is to be with his people. C.S. Lewis was once asked, hey, as you read Revelation and the streets of gold and kind of the imagery there, do you think that's real or do you think that's metaphor? And I love his response. He goes, it doesn't matter. Because what he said was to, to have God alone is enough. To have everything without God is to have nothing. And to have nothing with God is everything. The good news is God, you get to be with him because that is who you were made for. And so he says it this way, thus it is written, the first man, Adam became a life, became a living being. And the last Adam, Jesus became a life giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but it's the natural. And then the spiritual, the first man was from earth and a man of dust and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so what is Paul talking about right here? He's talking about the very heart of God that in Genesis chapter two, this is what it's throwing back to, that when God created everything, he created Eden, he created a place in which he and his people could dwell together. And that first man, Adam, was made from the dust of the ground. And then it said that God breathed life into Adam and Adam became a living being. 
But then in Genesis three, we decided, hey, I can be a better God than God. And so I'm gonna choose my own way. I'm gonna choose my own adventure. I'm gonna choose my own path away from the author of life. And the only thing that's left after that is death. And so it says in Genesis three, that God looks down at Adam and this Adam that was made from the dust of the ground and the breath of life. He says, from dust you came, from dust you will return. What is missing? It's the spirit of God illuminating and animating the heart and the life of Adam, of humanity. And yet God in that moment looked down at broken humanity and said, I'm gonna send a boy. Genesis 3.15, I'm gonna send a rescuer. I'm gonna send a savior and he's gonna come and he's gonna make all things right. He's gonna be fully God and fully human. He's gonna be my son, Jesus the Christ, and he's gonna enter into the human story because the heart of God is to dwell with you, to dwell with his people. And if there's anything that's keeping him from you, he will do something about it. And he will take away your sin. He will take away death and he will raise to life as Jesus died on the cross for your sin, entered into death, rose to life. And this passage is telling us Jesus is the prototype for our own resurrection that is to come, that we will be with God, God will be with us and we will be like Christ. That we were born as a man of dust. You were born human and you will remain human, but then also you will begin to bear the image of the man of heaven. God wants to be with you, but then God also wants you to transform to the image of who you are meant to be, full of joy, full of love, fully alive. That's what awaits for us. That's the heart of God. One of my favorite pictures of this and it falls short, but one of my favorite pictures of this is the last scene of the Narnia books in which you see the ups and the downs and the struggles and the chaos and the pain. And at the very end, if you read them, all of a sudden the people of Aslan are brought into new Narnia and they begin to look around and they begin to see, okay, wait, this is like Narnia, but it's all the more glorious. I'm like me, but I'm all the more glorious. And they see Aslan and they begin to chase Aslan further up, further in. They get to be with him forever. And they go, this is the place my heart has always longed for. And as the book closes, it says, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's beautiful. But our Bible says it better. The end of our Bible says it this way. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The heart of God is finally realized. He will dwell with them. 
and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus is entering back into our story to make all things new, including you. And we will enter into a world without sickness, without pain, without hurt, without death, without end, and we get to be with God, that's a lot better than some sky palace where you can play shuffleboard. It is a new heaven, a new earth, and a glorified you, a resurrected you, a fully alive you. And when we begin to see that, that we will be with God forever, that transforms us today. Colossians 3 says it this way. If you've been raised with Christ, if you have trusted in who Christ is, identifying in his death, burial, and resurrection, then you seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden away with Christ and God, and with Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. That is how the new creation, the new resurrection impacts us today. It is meant to inform our minds, inform our hearts, inform our lives, so that we can begin to taste the reality of what it means to be full of life, full of joy, fully alive. Jesus has entered into our story and he has risen to life and we find life in him. And as we do so, we will find what it means to be fully alive. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.